Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. It was two days before Passover, two days before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the city of Jerusalem was bursting at the seams. Normally, Jerusalem was home to about 30,000 people, but at Passover, the population swelled to about 180,000. Jewish pilgrims traveled from far and wide to celebrate, to remember that centuries before, their ancestors, their forefathers, were slaves in chains in Egypt. But the Lord heard their cries. The Lord heard the rattle of their chains. He remembered his covenant and he answered. God liberated his people. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So without brandishing a sword, without lifting a finger, God's people walked out of the most powerful nation in the world, free, redeemed, saved. Every year they celebrated, every year they remembered through Passover, through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And since Jerusalem was swarming with people, the occupying Romans increased their security presence as well. They feared that such a gathering, such a celebration might set off an uprising, might, might set off a revolt. So soldiers were in full force around the city. But they were not the only ones concerned about the crowds. Mark tells us that the chief priests, those in charge of worship, including the sacrifices, and the scribes, who were experts in God's law, also feared uproar among the people. They also feared a revolt among the people, but not against the Romans, against them. Why? Because they wanted to arrest Jesus. And they knew Jesus was popular. They knew Jesus had a following. They knew some thought that he was the Messiah, but they wanted him dead. To them, Jesus was simply a threat. After all, he came into the temple and acted as if he had the authority, as if he had the power to interrupt worship, to create chaos with the sacrificial system, to publicly condemn their practices that they had in place. So they wanted him out of the way but out of concern of the crowd, wanted to do it covertly, secretly. And then opportunity came knocking in the form of Judas. Judas was one of the 12, the 12 disciples. Jesus had called Judas to be with him, to follow him. He was one of Jesus's inner circle. For three years, Judas had been with Jesus, listening to his teaching, witnessing his miracles. He saw him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He saw him walk on water. He saw him heal the blind and the lame and the sick, even raise the dead. And here in Jerusalem, here at the Passover, Judas betrayed Jesus, the Messiah the son of God, his teacher, 
his friend. He went to the chief priest and he offered to hand him over. Now notice that Mark does not tell us why. If you're like me, you want to know why. Why did Judas do it? What were his reasons? What were his motivations? Was it disappointment? Disillusionment? Was Jesus not the Messiah he wanted? Was it it money? In John's gospel, Judas is named treasurer of the disciples. He was entrusted with keeping the money of the disciples, but he's also called a thief. He's accused of helping himself to those funds. And the religious leaders pay him to betray Jesus. But Mark is silent. He does not directly answer why. Mark is not interested in why, only that he did it. Only that he chose to do it. When the chief priests heard from Judas, they were glad They rejoiced. Their problem was going to be solved. Judas could take them to Jesus. Judas knew his movements. Judas knew where he stayed. Judas could find an opportune moment, an opportune place away from the city, away from the crowds, away from the Romans, and there they would have him. Well, the story of betrayal, the story of treachery is interrupted, broken by another story. If you've been here for our study of Mark, you've seen this before. This is a a literary device used over and over and over in Mark called the sandwich. The Markin sandwich. It's where Mark has two stories about Jesus, and the first story is interrupted by the second story, which means the first story is split in two. The two parts of the first story form the bread of the sandwich. The second story forms the meat, the filling of the sandwich. And the second story serves to interpret the first. In other words, in order to understand the bread or to better understand the bread, look to the meat. Jesus was in Bethany. Bethany was a small village about two miles from Jerusalem. And ever since arriving in the city, Jesus and his disciples had stayed there. They had stayed in Bethany, making it a base. In Bethany, Jesus was at the home of Simon the leper. And more than likely, Simon was not currently a leper, suffering from the disease of leprosy. He he had been cured. Perhaps he was healed by Jesus. And the name may have stuck in order to differentiate him from other Simons. It was, after all, a very common name. At Simon the leper's house in Bethany, Jesus was reclining at table. He was eating. For that's the posture of eating. There were no chairs. You reclined on cushions with your head toward the table. Your feet pointed away from the table. Jesus was eating, and a woman entered. This was a breach of etiquette. This was a serious social faux pas. In first century Israel, if if a woman was not a guest, she did not interrupt a meal. But uninvited or not, this woman entered. She knew Jesus was there and she wanted to see Jesus. She wanted to be with Jesus. She had a gift for Jesus. This woman brought a flask, a flask that was filled with pure nard, genuine nard, nard, 
was an oil. This oil is made from the root of an herb called spikenard. It's found in India. The, The oil is fragrant, it's aromatic, and it's expensive. This woman's bottle is worth almost an entire year's salary. So it was either a gift given to her or perhaps it was a family heirloom. Either way, it was precious. Either way, it was extremely valuable. And upon entering the room, the woman broke the bottle and she poured it over Jesus's head. This wasn't, this wasn't just a splash of perfume. This wasn't just a misting. Jesus had to be dripping wet with it. And immediately the room was filled with an earthy, spicy, sweet fragrance. Now, some of those present, which included the disciples, which included the 12, were angry. They were indignant. This woman had burst into the room uninvited. This woman had interrupted the meal that they were having together. Then this woman soaked Jesus with an ointment and expensive oil. It was a complete and utter waste. Instead of pouring the whole thing over Jesus, she could have sold it. She could have given the money to the poor. It could have gone a long way to help the poor. That would have been a far better use. Not only did they question her gift, but they scolded her. They rebuked her harshly. The the, the Greek word here literally means to flare the nostrils in anger. So they demean the gift and they demean the woman. But Jesus defends her. And Jesus defends her on the basis of her motives. Those angry with her judge her on appearance. He knows her heart. Listen again to his words. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. Jesus states that her gift, her action was beautiful. Not wasteful, not needless. Beautiful. The poor will always be around. But he won't. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is indifferent to the poor. This doesn't mean that we should be indifferent to the poor. But down down through the centuries, followers of Jesus, the church has always aided those in need. And this follows not only the example of Jesus, but it also follows the teaching of the Old Testament including our reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 15. In that passage, God tells his people to give to the poor. Listen to verse seven again. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. God God commands, open your hand. Open your heart. Open to those in need. But the Lord also says this in verse 11, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. You will always have the poor with you. 
Jesus tells them, there will be more opportunity to open your hand. But Jesus was present. Jesus was there. And he is the priority. He is the focus. He's the priority. He's the focus for you. For the church. Do we aid the poor? Do we help the poor? Do we open our hands and open our hearts to those in need? Yes, absolutely, we must. As a a church, we do that through our deacons fund. As a church, we do that through supporting local ministries, like we will go and stew pot. We do that through supporting ministries around the world, like Salt and Light in Honduras and the Philemon Project in Lebanon. But, but, But that is not what is primary. It's important, but that is not what is the focus, the center. Jesus Christ is. Over the years, many ministries have lost focus. Over the years, many churches have lost focus. Over the years, many Christians have lost focus. And it doesn't happen immediately. The loss is usually gradual. It's a shift. It's a, a slide that occurs over time where something else becomes the priority, where where something else becomes the focus, where something else becomes the center. Like serving the poor. And Jesus fades. But we help the poor because we love Jesus. We help the poor because we want to serve Jesus. We, and, we, and we serve Jesus through serving the poor. We show his love through serving the poor. But Jesus is the priority. Jesus is the focus. And this woman knew it. This woman recognized it. She understood his worth. The worth of the eternal son of of God in the flesh, right there. And she gave her gift accordingly. An extravagant, sacrificial gift of love straight from her heart. And Jesus knew it. But they demean her. They, they injured her. And, and indirectly, they demean Jesus. The implication, the implication of the words of those who were there at the meal is that he's not worth the extravagance. He's not worth the sacrifice shown. And the truth is, they didn't understand as she did. The truth is, they didn't see as she did. Jesus corrects them. She has done a beautiful thing to me, he says. And then he says this in verse eight. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus knew he was going to suffer and die. Jesus told his disciples he was going to suffer and die. And with Judas, the machinery that will lead to his death starts to turn. And in a few days, he'll be nailed to a cross, just like a criminal, just like an enemy of the state. But it's here. It's through his death that you are redeemed. It's through his death that you're liberated, that you're freed. God God has seen your chains. He's seen your bonds. 
that bind you to sin and death, that make you a slave to sin and death. And through the death of Jesus, he has broken your chains. Through the death of Jesus, he has burst your bonds. He's brought you out of slavery with the mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He saves you. Without lifting a finger, he saves you. Is your faith in him? Is he your savior? Is he your priority? Is he your focus? Is is he your center? Do you recognize his worth? Do you love him sacrificially? Do you love him extravagantly? Well, when Jesus died, the Sabbath was at hand. Preparing the dead was not allowed on the Sabbath. It was considered work. So Jesus' body was immediately laid in the tomb without cleansing, without anointing, without any preparation. But it had already occurred. The woman's gift prepared his body. And wherever the gospel is proclaimed, wherever the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, she's remembered. Her act of extravagant, sacrificial love is remembered. Well, Mark's sandwich leaves us with a stark contrast. Judas, an insider. Judas, one of Jesus' circle of 12 in Jerusalem, approaches the chief priest, the inner circle of Jewish religious leadership. Judas is unfaithful to Jesus, agrees to betray Jesus. On the other hand, an unnamed woman, an outsider, not even a guest at the meal, enters the house of a former leopard, a disease that made you an outsider. In Bethany, which was outside Jerusalem, she shows her faith, her love, her devotion for Jesus. She brings an expensive, extravagant gift and in a beautiful act, anoints his body for burial. So you see, without describing it, without commenting on it, the sandwich creates the contrast, showing just how despicable, just how detestable, just how evil Judas's treachery was. And just how gloriously beautiful the woman's gift was. And both served God's plan. Both served God's plan. His amazing plan of redemption far greater than Passover. God's grace even uses human evil for his saving purpose. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 